Tractor Time, the podcast for farmers who care about the earth. Good day, and welcome to Tractor Time, the podcast from Acres USA. My name is Ryan Slaybaugh, your host of Tractor Time, and thank you for joining us. It is December 21st, 2017, and we are recording from our offices in snowy Greeley, Colorado. It's absolutely dumping outside my window right now, uh, just to paint a picture, and it's uh, Christmas week, so the timing is just about perfect. Here in our office, we're coming off our high from our 42nd Annual Eco-Ag Conference and Trade Show in Columbus, Ohio a couple weeks ago, and that's really what this podcast is about today, is to help us celebrate the highlights and really share one special session from our conference that we really want the world to hear. Um, There were many other highlights as well, included 1,100 people who attended from 15 different countries. We heard diverse and interesting viewpoints on ecology, health, agriculture, life. Um, We learned about the finer points of soil nutrition micronutrients, microbiology, microfungi. We had great keynote speakers like Courtney White and Dr. Christine Jones and Vandana Shiva. And we learned about the larger picture as well, uh, about how our ecologically based agriculture systems can benefit all of our world. From the climate change to world peace, it can solve a lot of problems. And, and that's a lot to get our head around. And we feel you if, if, if that's uh, frustrating to you. Uh, but so many of our conference goers came up to us and asked, now what? They left feeling empowered and knowledgeable and motivated and wanted to know how to take this information back to their communities. And that's really what made this session that we're highlighting today stand out from our conference. It was not about soil, it was about life. It was about taking good soil and good soil management into other areas and connecting the dots. Uh, And and the people we had do it did it in such an eloquent way we had to share. Uh, It was a Friday morning. We had Acres USA's Fred Walters lead a discussion between Dr. Vandana Shiva, a peace and food health advocate who came all the way from India, Andre Liu, president of iPhone, who came from Australia, and Ronnie Cummings, founder of the Organic Consumers Association, an international group focused on real change in our food supply. Each took 20 minutes to discuss their take on what is happening in agriculture, in the organic and sustainability movements, and why they remain so positive despite the challenges and hurdles we have to overcome. I can't wait for you to hear from our panel, and uh, we're going to get right to it in about 30 seconds or a minute. A couple notes before we begin today. Uh, One side note, uh, you can find free video of this discussion at acresusa.com. Share it with the world, please. Uh, Share this podcast with the world if you want to get people motivated and interested. Um, You can also order or purchase audio of any of our other classes on our website uh, that are based on soil science and health uh, to help your own eco-education. And anyway, this is our last podcast of 2017. We finally wanted to say thank you for a great year and uh, cheers to an even better year in 2018 for everybody out there. So thank you again for listening. What you're going to hear is Dr. Vandana Shiva, Andre Liu, and Ronnie Cummings talking about the future and current day presence of agriculture and how we can use good agriculture practices to save the world. Uh, we're happy to have with us today Dr. Vandana Shiva, who is a worldwide leader in seed saving and in farmers' rights and in taking on the, the agrochemical companies that are doing such damage to people and the planet. Uh, Ronnie Cummins is a founder of uh, Organic Consumers and Regeneration International and a, a longtime ad, uh, activist and advocate for uh, clean food and clean farming. Andre Loy is a longtime organic farmer himself and then president of Organic Farmers of Australia. 
He's the longest-serving president of the IFELM, the International Federation of Organic Agriculture Movements. And they they each travel the world, uh, testify to governments worldwide, and work with farmers, uh, so from the farm to uh, policy room. Um, we're going to, the format of this morning is each, uh, each speaker is going to, uh, you know, have their, have their words, and then we hope to have some time for questions at the end. So we'll ask that any questions, if you, we'll have people with three by five cards, if you can pass them to us, we'll get to as many questions at the end of the panel as we can. So uh, with that, we will, we'll start with uh, Dr. Shiva. Hello, everyone. Um, I think the fact that we've come together as the movement for regenerative agriculture is both part of the imperative of the urgency because we are living through multiple emergencies. But I think there's an added emergency that those who've created the problem are using exactly the same mindset and the same tools to use the crises they have created for their next market, for their next commodification. And that's why we really have to both widen our alliances, deepen our knowledge, and elevate our consciousness at the same time. For too long, we spent time thinking, I'll only be local. I used to make that decision again and again. And then World Bank would do something. World Trade Organization would come up. The poison cartel would emerge with GMOs. And then you had to say, no, got to do both together. And fortunately, being very rooted in place and being very deep in a planetary consciousness is totally possible. Because we don't live in an either-or world. I see five major emergencies that are part of that degeneration model. And the degeneration will be accelerated when each of these is treated separately in a silo because that's where the opportunism of turning the crisis into the next market comes up. The first is the degradation and degeneration of our planetary systems because the Earth as a whole is a self-organized living system, which is why James Lovelock, the NASA scientist, after he realized she's regulating her temperature, she's regulating her biosphere through the biodiversity of life and that the tiniest of microbes is playing a role in this self-organization. The disruption of those planetary systems with the two big disruptions, the species extinction, the biodiversity erosion, and uh, the climate disasters and the havoc. I think the degradation of our political systems, I don't have to tell you, it's now so obvious. The descent is really into absolute chaos if it's not turned around with the deeper democracy movement. The degradation of the economic systems. You experienced it in the 2008 crisis. Europe experienced it in the 2010 crisis. But the polarization of the world into the 1% and the 99% And now a whole new language being used of 99% will be useless people. 
know, first they say we don't need farmers, we'll have chemicals and giant machines to replace them. Then they brought in the drones and the glyphosate spraying. Now they're talking the language of farming without farmers. Monsanto's latest now is digital agriculture. But do they even know the life of the soil? No, they don't. They just know they pumped huge amounts of nitrogen fertilizer, and all of their artificial intelligence is reducing it by 2%. That's their artificial intelligence. So Monsanto just bought up the world's biggest climate data corporation, the world's biggest soil data corporation. They're planning $3 trillion in insurance business from farmers annually with the combination of this data. Because as they're saying increasingly, the new oil is big data. And I always say small data is still data, still pieces of disembodied information. It's not knowledge. It's not awareness of interconnectedness. It's definitely not wisdom to choose the right action. It's still data. So making that absence of wisdom and absence of knowledge bigger means just more ignorance and more immorality. So it's big crimes. The economic systems in decay and polarization the food and health systems being degraded, both the health of the soil, the health of the planet, the health of people, and the social systems. Combination of the fact that when people are insecure, they do start thinking of the other person as a threat. But then when you have a 1% economy, it starts to mobilize that insecurity for polarization. And the combination of the, you know, it's a bit like desertified soil without humidity, without water carrying capacity. And we did a manifesto, Terra Viva, uh, in which we just told everyone, send the names for human in your language. So the word human is derived from humus, the soil, the living soil. And the first human being according to uh, the Abrahamic tradition, Adam, is derived from Adamus, the soil. We just have another name for the soil. And as long as we know that, uh, as long as we are aware of that, there are two other words that are derived from humus. Humility, humidity. And all of this holds society together. The absence of it is tearing society apart. Just like we are desertifying the soil, we are desertifying our souls. And then it's impossible to live together. And so for us, regenerative organic agriculture is about addressing each of these emergencies in a way that's totally doable given the work you all have done. The planetary system, you know, we, I wrote Soil Not Oil before the Copenhagen summit, partly because we'd seen how it would be, the treaty would be killed and it would be turned into a voluntary commitment, but also because agriculture was not even being talked. And our work in India was showing how agriculture, the wrong kind of agriculture, fossil fuel driven, chemical driven, is the biggest problem and good ecological farming is the biggest solution. 
So we've just done a 20-year study. Organic matter has increased in our valley on organic farms by up to 99%. It's gone down 14% in the chemical farms. Nitrogen has gone down 22% where they're applying urea with lots of enthusiasm to increase nitrogen. And it's gone up 100% in the areas where we don't apply urea because now the earthworms and the soil organisms are doing all the amazing work. Zinc has gone up. Manganese has gone up. And everywhere it's going down. These are the reasons. The carelessness with respect to the soil is the reason for the micronutrient deficiency in the soil, in our food, in our bodies. And I asked the scientist who does this work with us. He's India's top soil ecologist. I said, turn this into the amount of organic matter. It's 2.2 tons per hectare which is the figure we worked out in Paris, that that's what we need worldwide. And within 10 to 20 years, we can reverse climate change. Because only in the living system, through photosynthesis, through the recycling of carbon, through the recycling of nitrogen, do we have a mechanism to pull out the stocks that have built up. You can build all the solar panels, but they're not living systems. They don't have this capacity to pull out the excess and turn it into living, fertile soils. So in 20 years, we could reverse. And I'm sure both Ronnie and Andre will talk more detail on this. In economic terms, in economic systems, we can end suicides in the areas where we work, where Navdani has saved seeds, we train farmers in agroecology. Not one suicide among, uh, in an, among the organic community, not one. Because they're all debt-driven. And the debt is driven by the chemicals and an unjust market. I feel we have reached a point, given that image of artificial intelligence and robots mean 99% humanity is useless. I think this is our moment to say, no, humanity is not useless. 99% and the youth, here's a place for you. The earth is inviting you for the economy of care. That's the future, not the future of disposable people. And, you know, there was actually an article that said, oh, and 99% being useless means they can create trouble. So to prevent them from being trouble, creating trouble, let us have the same companies that make all our gadgets to now give smartphones to everyone to play games and stay distracted with virtual reality. Um, the food and health crisis, I think so much of it has been discussed at this conference. It's in our hands. And this, again, is, I mean, in two months, three months, two weeks, there's a reversal of degraded health. And in terms of the social system, I have not seen a place where farmers' first identity or eaters' first identity is related to food. When people first think of what am I eating, they then think of what is our community eating. They think of what are the systems we can build that we eat well. When a farmer is farming, the issue of Muslim and Hindu just disappears. I have done so many movements to protect the Ganges, to protect land rights. Everyone stands together. When our identity is through the earth and earth care, and we think of ourselves as earth citizenships, and we practice what I call earth democracy. All of these grounds of conflicts disappear 
and peace becomes the way we live. So all of these interconnected issues is what we want to take up. I mean, we've all kind of lived most of our lives. And as senior citizens, we're going to be young. We're going to be intense. And in the next 25 years, we're going to turn things around. Well, thank you very much. I was, I was thinking this morning when I woke up um, about this day, December, December 8th, right? And I was thinking, well, what? There's something about December 8th. And then I remembered uh, 1980, December 8th, a guy who was uh, one of my heroes who said, uh, they may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. And John Lennon was murdered 37 years ago today. And, but, uh, I think his, uh, his words and, and the, the sentiments that he spoke about uh, have certainly carried on. But we're in a situation where uh, the resolution to this catastrophe that we're facing, this degeneration of the earth, of the climate, uh, this degeneration of public health, degeneration of the culture, degeneration of, of politics, uh, is approaching uh, what many uh, scientists and, and just ordinary people realize, the point of no return. Uh, we don't have an unlimited amount of time uh, to reverse uh, this degeneration that is set in in you know all 200 nations of the world. That is set in in the the communities where all 7.5 billion of us live now, uh, and where our kids and grandkids are are wondering what is going on. You know, I mean, is there a future? Uh, you know, for our kids and our grandkids. I mean, for us uh, and. Uh, a lot of people are in despair. Uh, so I believe it's falling upon us and those like us across the world uh, to uh, rethink what we've been doing and to uh, figure out how we can move forward. Now, what I love about uh, Regeneration and this network, Regeneration International, uh, is that it is... It is a utopian or idealistic uh, worldview. Uh, we're talking about uh, can we work with Mother Earth? Can we work with the global grassroots to not only regenerate the Earth, but to regenerate the belief and the hope in people that things can change? Uh, like I mentioned uh, in my talk yesterday, I mean... My 20-year-old son told me uh, last year, because I was asking him, why aren't more of the kids from his high school, uh, you know, activists like I was, you know, when I was his age? And he said, well, Daddy, he said, uh, young people know what's going on. They know, they know about the climate crisis. They know about the horrible situation. But he said, most of my friends don't believe there's any hope, you know. And so if you don't believe there's any hope to change things, well, why 
go to all the pain and suffering. I mean, he's seen uh, what the life is like for full-time activists, his mom and his dad and, you know, lots of our relatives. And uh, we've got we've to re-instill hope. Okay, we obviously need to regenerate the biodiversity, the biological biodiversity of the earth uh, and work in harmony with the animals and the, and the forests and the trees. Uh, but we, we have to have a movement that is diverse, too. And uh, the plea I want to make today uh, is that let's connect the dots between the burning issues that preoccupy the people in our local communities, in our regions, in our nations, in the world. Uh, and the bottom line is that people don't wake up uh, every morning uh, worrying about uh, food and farming, you know, and farmer suicides and uh, the disappearance of the pollinators or the, uh, the uh, you know, degradation of our topsoil and our fertility and the, the poisons in our food and so on. Some people do wake up thinking about that. I know I do. Uh, but other people wake up thinking about their health problems, you know, are the problems of the people in their family, the health problems. In the United States, 40% of us adults uh, have degenerated health, uh, and we're suffering from chronic diseases. It's the number one killer uh, of, uh, or number one cause of premature death. You know, people who wake up with health problems uh, need to be part of our movement, too. So we need to connect the dots between deteriorating public health uh, and the food we're eating, the toxins uh, in the environment, and point out that this can be changed. We can change our diets. We can change uh, our immediate environment to reduce our contact with toxins. We can identify the degenerators who are literally condemning us to death, early death, expensive death. Uh, they don't want us to die too quickly because the last couple of months of our lives, they want to hook us up to those machines in the hospitals so they can drain out the last $60,000 in your bank account uh, before you go. You know, But the same corporations, the same billionaires that are poisoning us are the same billionaires that are selling us the cancer drugs and, you know, that are investing in these industrial health care systems. So health is a big, is a big one. Uh, if you wake up in much of the world, uh, what you're worried about is, uh, are you going to get through the day? You know, the poverty. Do you have enough money to go buy food for your kids? Or do you have any, any food that you've grown, you know? Or are you going to get murdered when you walk out into the street uh, by some, uh, you know, uh, gang member? You know, it's like rural poverty, urban poverty, violence, the so-called war on drugs. These are intense issues for people. You know, we have got to start connecting the dots between poverty, unemployment, and regenerative food farming and land use. If you're talking to a, a person who is, you know, unemployed or working in, for example, the food chain in the United States, 
mean, we've got 20 million people working in the food chain. You know, the farmers, the farm workers, the restaurants, the, you know, the, the truck drivers, the clerks, the, the warehouse people. 40% of people in the United States working in the food chain cannot afford organic food. You know, they cannot afford organic food. Uh, if you work at Walmart, uh, the biggest employer in the country, um, if you get food stamps, maybe you can buy a little, you know, a little organic food. But we have to connect the dots. Poverty, violence, war, forced migration, deteriorating public health, these are all rooted in the same degenerate system that is threatening our very survival. And so, as we go, hopefully from here, to build regeneration coalitions in our, first in our immediate neighborhood or community or city or county or state, um, let's keep that in mind. We, got, we do have a food movement and a farming movement in this country and a fair trade movement that is sizable, you know. I mean, we have done a lot of good things over the last 50 years in building this movement. But we're still over here. We got the food and farming movement over here. We got the peace movement over here. We got the health movement, natural health movement over here. We got the movement for economic justice over here. We got the movement for, you know, democracy, that, uh, that old idea uh, over here. But these movements are not working in synergy. You know, they're working in isolation. The basic, the basic rule of thumb in the, in, the, in the change community in the United States seems to be, you know what, my issue is more important than your issue. My constituency is more oppressed than your constituency, you know. And I want to get this money from this foundation so that my organization, my issue can continue. You know, we have got to open up a discussion um, with the different segments of the concerned, uh, you know, people, uh, especially in the U.S., uh, to change this. The climate movement. Climate movement's gotten pretty strong uh, in the United States over the last 10 years. Uh, we're, we have exposed the fossil fuel industry uh, for the degenerators they are. But is the climate movement talking about there's two basic things we need to do to restabilize the climate? Are they talking about regenerating our soils? to sequester carbon from the environment, to bring us back to a, a balance like we were in, say, the year 1750? No. The leadership are not talking about this. You know, the, that's why the food movement and the climate movement, which should be working hand-in-hand, hand, are not. Okay? Migration. It's like, have you heard anyone say that the solution to migration is not putting up a wall or tearing down a wall, the solution is, is prosperity back in the rural areas where the migrants come from. The reason people are coming to the United States, from Mexico, from Central America, from across the world, 
is poverty and violence in their home communities. They would like to go back, most of them, to their home communities, but there's nothing to go back to because NAFTA and U.S. foreign policy and their own corrupt governments and the drug cartels and the, the gun manufacturers have created a hellish situation uh, there. So migration is connected, justice, poverty, health, all these issues. No one's going to do it but us. When you go back to your home community, please consider how you can broaden the conversation we have to go out and talk in this country to every church group, every student group, every environmental group, every peace group, every social justice group. We need to start a conversation about how we can work together. Because if I am just a dreamer, if we are just dreamers, and this this utopian idea of peace and justice and harmony uh, is just a dream, well, we might as well party down and give up. You know, I don't believe it's a dream. I think today is the beginning of a new era when we can regenerate the earth and regenerate the global grassroots and take care of business. Thank you. Well, I want to follow on with what both Vandana and Ronnie have said and say that we actually have a crossroads. We have two clear futures. And the one we're headed on at the moment is, uh, is basically the extinction of us and, our, and every other species. Excuse me. <coughs> the last... In 2016, for the first time, the atmosphere had 400 parts per million um, carbon dioxide. Now, actually, I shouldn't say the first time. The only other time we can actually look back where that had happened is about 600 million years ago. And at that point, sea levels were 60 to 100 feet higher. That's 400 parts per million. By the way, um, we're 405 now and going up faster than ever. The last decade, we were going up at two parts per million per year. Last year, we went up 3.3 parts per million. That's a new record for the planet. And if you get the 450 parts per million, <coughs> that is regarded by many scientists as what they call the tipping point to catastrophic climate change. A tipping point... Well, to explain, you know, we've always had cycles on the planet. Sometimes there's a tipping point, there's an ice age. Then you get another tipping point and you go out of the ice age. What we're talking about is a brand new one, and a world that will probably be on average um, maybe about 10 degrees Fahrenheit hotter. Some people say, oh, that's all right, winters are going to be a lot better and we'll just turn the air conditioners up a bit more in summer, we'll be okay. But what people don't understand, it's... Oh, thanks, Fred. What people don't understand, it's, it's not the average, it's the extremes that cause the problems. Now, at the moment, the world 
is 1.25 degrees Celsius, which is about a bit over three degrees Fahrenheit warmer than it was at the end of the Industrial Revolution. Now, I want you to imagine how much energy is needed to warm the atmosphere of our planet by over three degrees. Now, a good way to conceptualise it, it's the equivalent of many thousands of atomic bombs of energy is powering our energy systems. And this is why droughts are longer, storms are fiercer. And to give you ideas of, of what is happening, when Katrina hit New Orleans, that was the first of what we called the super hurricanes. Now, the scientists said we wouldn't get these to about the year 2050. And when Katrina occurred, everybody, and hit, hit New Orleans, everybody was completely un unprepared because we'd never had one, ever, on the planet. Since Katrina, you know, there's been plenty. You know, Sandy's a really good example one of hitting New Jersey. Um, one called Haiyan that went through the Philippines, killed over 2,000 people and left several hundred thousand people homeless. That was four years ago, and many of them are still homeless. Well, let's talk about this year when Harvey hit Houston. Harvey is a one in 500 year event. And so they said, okay, look, let's see how often these one in 500 year events have happened in Houston. Since the 1970s, one in 500 year events happened one in 15 years. But a few weeks after Harvey, we get, we get Irma, a one in 1,000 year event. And thankfully, Irma went a little bit to the west of of Miami, because if it had hit Miami, we'd, we'd have a casual account in millions. Similarly, a few weeks later, you get Maria that goes through in places like Puerto Rico at the moment. The majority of people in Puerto Rico still do not have power on. And Puerto Rico is supposed to be part of the United States. It's one of the richer areas in the Caribbean. Think about the other places that have been hit. They're looking at decades before they recover. In my country, we've had three of these super ones hit. And where I live, we actually we had two within three years of each other. The first one came through, destroyed all the crops, destroyed particularly the orchards. People replanted only for three years later to have it all wiped out again. And the vast majority of farmers said, that's it. We're not doing this anymore. It's, we're gone. You know, we, 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 it's not viable. Now, you know, the thing is this, is that these events now are only going to become more frequent and stronger as we put more and more energy into the system. But the other one I want you to think of is this. Um, before the Paris Agreement, when they're talking about, oh, we'll, we'll let the, the world go to four degrees Celsius, um, that's about just under five degrees Fahrenheit, and they did some research on it and said, well, if we do that, most of the major coastal cities in the world will be underwater by between 2030 and 2050. I'm talking about New York City. I'm talking about New Orleans, Miami, you know, London. Most of the Netherlands will be underwater. And then if we start going to Asia, we talk about megacities like Mumbai and Calcutta or Bangkok. Bangkok, there's 30 million people. Uh, Jakarta, 30 million people. And these cities are already going underwater like Miami in King Tides. You know, it's in, in the next decade or so. And, and you know, 
Manila, another 30 million. Tokyo, another 30 million. And then the country of Bangladesh, 60 million. And I want you to think about the world at the moment. Can we cope with 2 million refugees from Syria? No. 200,000 Rohingya refugees from Myanmar, Burma, going into Bangladesh. Can we cope with that? No. How do we cope with 60 million Bangladeshi refugees? And that's just Bangladesh. The other side of Bengal, West Bengal, you've got Calcutta. You've got another 40 or 50 million. That's 100 million refugees just there. But we're talking about hundreds of millions of refugees. What sort of world will that be? That'll be a world of total chaos. The whole breakdown of law and order and society as we, as we know it. And so, you know, you want to think about climate change. It's not just we're going to get hotter and we're going to get more storms. We're going to destroy the society that we're in. You know, so is that a future we can accept? Is that a future where some people say, oh, we'll, we'll adapt to it. We'll, you know, we, we'll find people new jobs or move them. You know, we can't cope with what's happening in the Middle East. We can't cope with, what's, with, the, with the people coming out of Guatemala and Central America. We can't cope with the people out of Africa who are coming up to Europe. And they are moving because of climate change, because of, of the worst drought that they've had um, in 80 years. That's climate change. The Syrian crisis happened because of climate change. That, the whole of the Middle East went into a drought and there were food shortages and then farmers and, the, and then the, the, the local population started rioting. That's what they called the Arab Spring. And, and it's just... You know, basically, you know, it's still chaos now. It's still a war and we, we cannot deal with it. That's one future. But the other one is, and I think, you know, Ronnie uses the word dream, but I'd like to actually say it's not a dream because most of us here are already doing it. We have enough knowledge. We have enough proven practice that we can turn this around in 30 years. It took over 250 years for us to create this problem, but, but with the agricultural systems we have, we know that we can take enough of that carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, put it in our soils, and reverse climate change. It's not about, oh, we'll, you know, we'll mitigate it. We can turn it around and quickly, within our lifetimes. And we don't need any new technology. We don't need anything else to be invented. With what we know now and what we're doing now, we could turn it around. So all we need to do is scale it up to get that information out, to change farming from one which is degenerative and responsible for up to 50% of greenhouse gases to one that can actually turn around climate change, but the other good thing we're going to do about it, we're going to solve the health crisis because we can actually make food that is nutritious and not toxic. We can restore our communities by, by making farming prosperous again. We can rebuild this new positive society and that is just by scaling up what we are doing now. In this room, we are the real climate change heroes or regenerators of this planet. And we've got to realise that, realise the power of what we've got and do it. And if we do it, our children and grandchildren will have a wonderful future and we have to do it. So thank you. 
Thank you for listening to Tractor Time. Uh, this is Ryan Slaybaugh, your host, and I appreciate everybody spending their time with us and listening to this inspirational talk. We hope everybody can go take these ideas, uh, hit the ground, and make some change happen. Again, have a happy new year, have a Merry Christmas, and we will see and hear from everybody again in 2018. Thank you.